Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. We've talked a lot about advocacy on this show, and one of the ways you can do that is by increasing your skills and knowledge and then getting involved in other projects to utilize those skills. My guest today is Lona Small, and this is exactly what she has done. Lona is a medical laboratory scientist and then went on to earn her MBA as well as several additional certifications. She's also one of the co-hosts of Elaborate Topics podcast, and she has her own company, Lab OPEX Training and Consulting. Okay, here's Lona Small. Thanks for being here today. Hi, Dennis. I'm so excited that I can participate in your podcast. Really oh, excited. Oh, thanks. So am I. So am I. To start with, let's let's go all the way back then. You grew up in Jamaica. And I know you've talked about this in other places, and you mentioned something about the school system, and I, I think you said like it partially steers your career choices and your course of study. So can we go all the way back to that time, and, and can you kind of tell me about that? Okay. I was like, is Dennis talking me? <laughs> oh, Jamaica? Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so those were some really exciting times in my life, as you probably would imagine for anyone, their childhood in a sense. And, you know, you, you have not, you don't have a lot to worry about except just going to school. And so the way school was set up, it's like, it's off the British system. So you go through school at sixth grade, you take an exam and you end up in high school. So if you don't pass that exam, you're either in a junior secondary school where they don't give you as much as they would give in a high school. I was lucky enough to pass my common entrance and went to a high school. And then the structure again becomes very, um, it's almost like you're going through a funnel. And so in high school, based on your performance, you're in A stream, B stream, C stream, D, or even X. And in the A stream, they put a lot of effort on the kids to prepare them for college. So you're either being prepared to go to medical school or law school. So unfortunately, there's this um, stigma about what career is better than the other. So I was, again, lucky enough to be in the A stream. But when it got to that final exam in high school, we take an exam through England. So we either take the Cambridge um, O-level exam, most people, and okay. based on your grades, that will determine whether or not you make it to medical school, that everybody like grooming you through your life to either go to medical school or law school or something like that. Mm -hmm. I did not do well in my exams. And in Jamaica, in the Caribbean at the time, there was just one medical school serving so many islands, um, so many countries, and it was very competitive. So you better have straight A's in those exams. I didn't pass my exam. I was very devastated. I just didn't know what to do. It felt to me as if it was the end of my life because the way they almost like they 
groom you is almost like they're grooming you for that kind of future. And then when you don't know, you don't know other options, it seems it's really devastating for a young person. And so I was very devastated and I tried different ways on my own. I started doing research. Maybe I could do an exam. I heard about the London exam and I started you know, communicating and trying to find out how I could do that. But then I needed some place to do an inter, um, some kind of lab. And so I didn't get into medical school, unfortunately. So, but, you know, I'm glad in a way to look back that I had failure very early that taught me a lot of lessons. And so that's how it was. I ended up taking on a job while I was trying to figure it out as a in a library. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so, um, trying okay. to figure out what next <laughs> my move would be. So, do you know is the system still like that in Jamaica today? I not still. I think there's still some restrictions. The good thing about it is that they have opened up more high schools. So a lot more people and even some of those junior secondary school, they're actually high schools. So more people are getting opportunities for, you know, the education that they should get or the options that they should get instead of restricting People who went to junior secondary school, they actually trained them to be secretaries and, you know, do technical work. But now it's open where even in high school, they have options to do, you know, whatever they choose. So I think it's much better now. Okay. Okay. I see. So you didn't get into medical school. So what did you do next? I started thinking, okay, um, they were community college. So I started looking at those. But the, the thing was that I went to a hospital to get my blood drawn. And when I went to the hospital, I'm like, wow, this is kind of similar to, um, doctors. The, these people are drawing my blood. I should ask some questions. So I asked, who are you? What do you do? And those were medical um, lab scientists. Um, at the, you know, they would come out and they would draw the blood, but behind there was this lab. And I happened to meet, to see someone that I knew from my church and I asked for a tour and he gave me a tour of the lab and I found it very fascinating. And I said, I'm going to apply to be a medical lab scientist. And that's how I was introduced to medical lab science. Had no idea what that was until then. And that's what I did. Okay. That seems to be a common theme with a lot of people that I've spoken with. They they had no idea about this field. They hadn't heard of it before they, you know, started in school for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that That really seems to be a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about then your your education in the as a medical laboratory scientist. I know as part of it, you had exposure to histopathology and cytopathology, which I think is a bit different than the programs in the U.S. In the I, as I understand it, here in the U.S. they don't do that. Did did you enjoy those parts of the lab? 
Very much so. I had no idea. I never saw histology or cytopathology as anything different from the whole process of lab testing. And so, yes, I had a lot of fun doing all those areas. So in our training, um, it involved blood banking, hematology, chemistry, immunology, histopathology, cytopathology, you know, and all the areas of lab testing. So I didn't know that there was any difference in any other um, training program. And so, you know, I had a lot of fun. So once we were done, we had to do internship. And so I worked as a generalist. So the hospital that I worked had all the labs, including histopathology and cytopathology. Cytopathology and histopathology reminded me so much of hematology, preparing smears, you know, staining, whereas in histopathology, you're looking at the cross-section of tissue, which, you know, cells also. So that was just a natural part for me of um, my training and, you know, my rotation and just working in the lab. It almost seems like that's a better way to do it. I mean, it, like you said, there are similarities, certainly between cytopathology and, and hematology, like you just mentioned. Do, do you have any idea why it's different here? Yeah, you know, I, I always wondered, and I know for me, I'm thinking maybe with CLIA and the way they they you know, categorize, and that probably was way before CLIA, but the way they categorize um, testing, I think maybe for histopathology, there's a lot of preparation before the um, pathologist review. The That's site, true. Whereas, and um, even hematology, you're preparing, but as a technologist, you're also reviewing the slides and you're actually reporting on the slides. In histopathology, you're preparing the slides, you're making sure that they're well prepared, but you're not the one reviewing and reporting. So I'm wondering if that's the difference, why they made that difference here in the United States. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Then your experience in histo and cyto, that kind of helps you later on in your supervisory roles, at least early part of your career, because you had management over those areas of the lab. I wonder, could you tell us about some of your early supervisory roles? Yes. So it was, it's interesting because my first supervisor role was actually in histopathology. It was very challenging because this history, Histology lab was closed for over six months. At, at the time, they did not have a full-time pathologist. I think the supervisor had moved on. But then you had patients waiting on results for over six months. Can you imagine? I think there were some um, specimens that were sent to other labs but then there were like so much, when I walked into that lab, there were like specimens, 
in stacks and containers like everywhere. <laughs> wow. You could smell the formalin in the air. It was just like, and I was like, what do I do with this? This is my first supervisory role. And so I just had to get to work and start, you know, trying to organize everything and, you know, just process specimen, um, like back to back before it was just like overnight, we'll just put things in the processor overnight and whatever we process for that night, that's what we would, you know, embed and make slides. But it was just back to back to get caught up. With you had surgeons waiting for um, results, they were treating patients without results, or you know, mm-hmm. of course, people may have cancer, or they probably just have to start going into um, treatment, and so that was very challenging for me. I learned a lot <laughs> in that process, just running um, histopathology. I really loved it. the The difference in Jamaica was that. We didn't even know, we didn't have a PA. We didn't know what a pathology assistant was. So as supervisor, I had to do everything. Grossing with the pathologist, preparing, even um, with their patients who had to do autopsy, sometimes had to go to the autopsy room. So there was just a lot of overlap that took place there. So I learned a lot. You know, you're learning a lot, but you don't know you're taking so much for granted until you see different settings. Then you realize how much exposure you had that you took for granted. So that was really great training ground for me as a supervisor, kind of being thrown into a situation like that and had to organize, get things back on track, get the results back on track for the the surgeons and everyone involved. And um, so that was my starting point. And then I've moved into different supervisory roles. I've traveled different countries. I was asked to cover for different people. And, you know, then I decided that I would come to the United States somehow with that same something in the back of my head that I should be going to medical school because I was told that as a young child. <laughs> so I came to the United States with that in mind and went to Howard University. You know, I was told that's kind of the easiest thing to get a undergrad in order to go to grad school or medical school, just go back and do med, uh, med tech. So I went back and I did that for less than a year. I only had to do the major classes. And, you know, I was offered different position as a tutor there at Howard University where I was teaching in the field of um, med tech okay. and um, working at the same time. And I, then I was offered, I didn't th- think I was ready for a supervisor role in the States my first year after graduating um, college. You know, I went to apply for a regular role and they looked at my resume and saw all the things that I've done, included teaching at a college. And so they offered me a role as a supervisor, almost like fresh off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
I was always thrown into these roles. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Was it experiences like that that then kind of inspired you to decide to go and earn an MBA? Yes. So, you know, I look back at at an experience that I had, and I usually would tell the story of me sitting in my manager's office trying to figure out what to do as a new supervisor um, in the States. There was some staffing challenges, and she looked at me and she said, you better figure it out because I had to figure this out by the seat of my pants. And at the time, I didn't take kindly to it. Of course, I was upset. I felt very unsupported. I was confused. I didn't know what next to do. But that's Mm -hmm. when I made that commitment to figure this out, as I would, you know, use the same expression that she used to me. And that's when I started learning more about leadership, learning about working with teams, you know, team dynamics. My direction changed from, okay, I'm going to be a doctor to, you know, having more interest in the field of medical technology and in terms of leadership, in terms of understanding how, what impact we have. So even then, I still wasn't clear about where I was going, but I knew I wanted to make a difference at that point. So I started exploring different things, you know, what next? And so eventually ended up applying to do a healthcare MBA. And even when I applied, I still was not sure about, you know, what would, you know, where would this lead me? I knew I wanted to learn more. I knew I wanted to give back more. I need need more clarity. I didn't want to be in that space where I was confused, where I felt unsupported. I wanted more. So that's when I went and I applied to GW for a healthcare MBA. And that made a major difference. So how did that program go for you then? I mean, as you were going through, did you... Did you ever have any doubt like uh, maybe this isn't the right move or was it kind of did it kind of confirm that you were doing the right thing? Yes, it confirmed where I needed to be because that's where I saw the connection of the lab. That's where I saw the value of the lab. That's where I saw how the lab connected to the big picture of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that's where I saw how much we had to contribute, how much value we had. And I did not know that then. I mean, you know, everybody was, you know, putting you have to be a doctor or you have to be, you know, something else. And so, you know, I was just going through the motion. But once I went and did my healthcare MBA, I was able to work with so many other healthcare professionals. You know, I was working with nurses, doctors, PAs, you know, just about everyone that were contributing in a different way. And I realized how much we as a lab 
we were just, I mean, I know we say that, you know, it's almost like cliche, but being able to be in that setting and being able to actually contribute what mm-hmm. I like, this is what we have to offer at the lab and educate other healthcare professionals as we did it, as we collaborate on projects. They were like, you know, amazed at what the lab brought to the table and that validated the importance of the lab and how we can contribute to the big picture in healthcare. And so it kind of gave me clarity about what I wanted to do in my career. Yeah, that it seemed like that really sparked your interest in not only advocating for the lab, but just from there you went on to, it, you know, like this wasn't the end for you as far as you're learning and you're gaining more knowledge. I mean, you 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 keep going with that. You're, I think you're still going with it now. Yeah. Why is this kind of thing important to you? Right. So I think when you get to that point, when you discover what is it that you want to contribute, what is it that you want to give? It's like it builds on one thing, builds on the other. And so when I did my healthcare MBA, I was introduced to healthcare quality and patient safety. And during that time, it was like a big thing about value-based care. There's a lot of discussion on, you know, being paid for, for value, not, you know, there's before people, you know, any in healthcare, the more you did, the more you got paid. It didn't matter what quality care you gave to the patient when it comes to patient-centered care that did not exist. And so once I learned about healthcare quality and realized how much the lab could contribute in that way, I started learning more. So, you know, I decided to do that advanced certification in healthcare quality. And then the more I did work in healthcare quality, I realized I wanted to understand process improvement more. How can we do projects? as lab and work with other healthcare leaders to improve the service that we give in healthcare because that's basically how our value is seen. It's not seen based on what we say, but what we do. What are the results? Um, Are they seeing us as an important part of the whole contribution? So I started understanding process improvement. I got involved in a, in lean. And then the more I get involved in that, then I moved to business process management because I realized that it wasn't so much just improving on a small process, but understanding how it affects the return on investment understanding how it affects the business case, being able to present that so that it's not, you know, we are seen as serious contributors. And Mm -hmm. so I started learning more. So I think like in general for people, once you explore an area and you find that you have passion 
you have some kind of passion about it, usually one area would lead to the other. It's not, for me, it wasn't planned, but I realized I needed to understand more about um, um, business process management. And then as one who was leading projects and leading teams, I realized that it was important to understand project management. So it was like one thing that led to the other, that led to the other. Data analysis is important when you are actually working on project to show some kind of measurement, to show that you made a difference. This is where we were and this Mm -hmm. is where we are now. So if you don't know how to actually analyze data or show return on investment, then you're just spinning your wheels. And so that's how I got into doing all these different certifications. Okay. Okay. So I want to kind of elaborate a little bit on a couple of things you mentioned. Uh, So you have certifications in both process management and project management. And I'm curious, what is the difference between the two of those? Right. So for process management, it's more about the actual, so a, a process is usually a continuous, can be a continuous effort. So if you set up different processes in the lab, say, for instance, we're talking about setting, um, processing a piece of tissue. So you, okay. you know, you receive it, you know, of course, it's already, um, it went through, you know, dehydration, everything. And so you have different steps that you have to take with the tissue. You're going to embed it. You're going to, you know, you have the wax. You're going to cut. You're going to cut it with the microtone. You're going to make a, um, put it on a slide. You're going to stain it. So these are different steps in the process. So that's a process. But with these, this process is continuous. Because you're always going back, you're preparing a new tissue. So with processes, they're continuous. And in business, in process management, you're making sure you're managing these processes to make sure that they're efficient. At a bigger level, you're making sure that you're not losing money. You're making sure that these processes have an impact. You're making sure that there's value. So in business process management, for me, I'm looking at bigger processes in the lab. I could look at the the whole financial aspect of it. So you could look at any process in the lab and look at the business aspect of it. And you can also look at the efficiency of your process. However, for project management, you're actually just managing a one project. So for a project, there is a beginning to the project and there's an end and it's not a continuous flow like a process that is always going. So for project management, you want to make sure that if you get a project, I'm going to use an example for me. I say I'm asked to set up a project where we have clear communication to phlebotomy whenever there's any restricted limbs so they don't collect blood on a patient 
with restricted limbs that would be dangerous to the patient. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. I know that I'm going to work on this project for maybe three months and I'm going to get a team together and I'm going to decide on, you know, you know, what are we going to do? So we're going to need how much, how much it's going to cost, how much time it's going to cost. And we're going to come up with eventually, and I'm using a real example, standardized signage to ensure that phlebotomists don't stick the patient on the wrong limb. After four months, the signage are up. That project is given to an owner, maybe the nurse, to make sure that they monitor, but I'm done. Okay. I manage that project from the beginning to the end, and I'm done. With processes, processes continue. It's, it's just never stop. So I find that it's necessary for me to understand both because I found that I was leading so many process improvement. And because I'm in processes and I was leading so many, I needed to understand how to lead as a project manager. So that's why I did both. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So they're different, but it seems like related. Yes. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Lona Small. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about LabVine before, and this is an online learning platform for laboratory professionals where you can earn continuing education credit. And these are accredited by the Society of Medical Laboratory Technology of South Africa, as well as PACE in the U.S. and the Royal College of Pathologists in the U.K. I want to tell you about a new feature available on LabVine called the ConfLab. This is an opportunity for laboratory thought leaders, subject matter experts, and consultants to share their expertise with other lab professionals. And you can follow the link in the show notes to apply to be a ConfLab expert. Dress Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress Med by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Lona Small on the People of Pathology podcast. Okay. You also have a certification as a quality specialist. So let's talk about that then. What what are some of the things you do in that area? Right. So as for healthcare quality is so broad, but my job is limited to that scope of the lab where we look mostly on regulatory aspect of um, running a lab. We look at making sure we're monitoring different indicators to make sure we're operating at the quality that um, is set for us from the time the doctor order a lab to the time that we report a lab. So I look at every aspect of ordering, working with providers, collecting, working with phlebotomists, processing a specimen, testing the specimen, making sure that we have everything in place from quality control, machines are calibrated, maintained, and we are reporting according to regulatory guidelines. So as a result of that, I utilize 
a lot of process improvement, which is many times outside the scope of my job, but based on my passion and based on the fact that I think that the lab has so much to contribute at a bigger level, not only limited to the to the um, walls of the lab. So I do so much outside of the lab, collaborating with other healthcare teams to make sure that we are contributing and giving value at a high level. So in healthcare quality, basically, I'm just ensuring that we're giving quality results to the providers so that they can treat the patient's the best way that they should. That makes a lot of sense. Now, so you're one of the co-hosts of the Elaborate Topics podcast, along with Tawana Wilson and Stephanie Whitehead. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious about this podcast, which first of all, I love the name. That's probably the best lab podcast name I've, I've ever seen. But so what, what was the origin of this idea? Like, how did the three of you come up with this and, and develop the idea to, to, make the podcast? I think we all had ideas in um, silos. And the good thing about collaborating with other people in the field or outside the field, you get to talk and you get to realize that, you know, you share ideas and you're like, wow, that's exactly what I was thinking. So for Taiwan, Taiwan always had a podcast on leadership in general. And I had reached out to her. We have had different discussions about, you know, my interest to bring more visibility to lab and some of the things that I was doing in coaching and training other medical lab professionals. And so she started thinking that maybe we could collaborate on a lab podcast So she reached out to quite a few people. And at the time, I think I was the only one that was interested because I was thinking of a podcast before, like an individual podcast. And then later on, Stephanie reached out to Taiwana after the beginning of the pandemic. And she said she wished she could actually be a guest to talk about it. So we started talking again about why don't we come together to create a lab-specific podcast. And that's how it came about because we all had that dream of bringing more visibility to what we do in the lab. And we realized that there was a lot of education when it came to the technical aspect, but there is so much that need to be said in terms of leadership, in terms of people making an impact, in terms of being happy or proud about what we do in the lab. And we thought we could bring a lot of conversations where that is concerned and so that other people could see role models. And if they want to do something, they could reach out to us or just listen to guests on the show and be inspired. So Mm -hmm. that's that was the goal of the elaborate topics. Yeah. It sounds like it's a very similar goal to what I'm trying to do here. I mean, like you just said it, you're trying to inspire people, which is exactly what I'm trying to do as well. So that that's, that's great. And I know you recently had the 50th episode of elaborate topics. 
So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So congratulations to all of you on that. Thank um, you. Now, you're the CEO of Lab OPEX Training and Consulting. So did the podcast turn into the consulting or did you already have this uh, going bef- before that? Right. So I've already had that going. When I reached out to t- Taiwana, I realized that at the time, she was probably one of the only person that I saw in the field that was going out as a entrepreneur. She was moving in her entrepreneurial journey. It was specifically just leadership, not so much lab leadership. And I specifically wanted to help other medical lab professionals. I mean, I've gone through you know, different challenges, trying to figure out what I wanted. I did not know. I was not able to figure that out until I went through a certain journey. It was almost like I was told by my school or by society that this is what I should do. And I realized that you know, there are so many medical lab scientists that are there that are either unsure, they don't know what next to do, they're unclear about their career path. They get to a point where they feel as if, you know, I've gotten to this point, maybe I should just look for something else, the way I was looking for med school. And so because I've gone through the journey, I've done so much training, coaching my you know, I've gone through coaching, I've gone through training, and I've discovered my passion. And I know that there's so much that we can do in the field and still contribute in a diff- in in a very impactful way. I wanted to coach others to be able to identify their unique competence, not necessarily in process improvement. It could be in leadership. It could be in, you know, marketing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to help others, to coach them, to help them to figure out how do I identify my unique competence? And when I do, how can I make a big impact? How can I contribute in a big way? And how can I actually stand out and feel good about what I'm doing? So that's how I started Lab OPEX um, training and consulting, but the first part of my lab OPEX um, training is a coaching program. And then for people who identify the areas in which they want to go, then there's a training program. A lot of people reach out to me, I want training quality management, or I wish you could help me in project management. But before people start um, thinking that's what they, where they want to go, like I want to go to medical school is Mm -hmm. first to coach them through identifying what is it that they're really good at? What is it that they enjoy doing? What is it that they could make an impact and really feel great about? So that's how I started lab OPEX training and consulting. So when I moved to start doing lab OPEX live, I wanted to have examples of people who identified their unique competence, people who are making an impact in the field of medical lab science, because so many times we think that there's not much you can do. And I wanted examples of those people on the show to inspire others 
to get to that point. And for me, it's not just making that impact as an individual, which is really great to make that impact in your career. That's really one of the best things that you can do. But I think that if we come together as a community, we can make a bigger impact in healthcare and for other healthcare leaders to see the impact that we can be, we give to see the value, to see our contribution would really make a big difference. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've watched a few of the, the lab OPEX live videos on, on LinkedIn and they're, they're really good. I mean, you're, it's just a, a, another way that you're advocating for the lab and for lab careers and getting the message out there. And I, I think it's really great what you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah kind of in that in that vein sort of and we and we mentioned this earlier so when you 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 sort of discovered the medical laboratory these careers kind of by accident which a lot of people have and and this is a problem what what are some things we can do ab- about that to to get to get the word out there more yes and i think Dennis you are doing a great job with the podcast oh thank you very much Yes. You know, I'm glad that this is happening. Um, I think that's where we can start. One, one example is podcast. Um, a lot is being, a lot is said about us as medical lab professionals. We are the heroes behind the scene. But at the same time, we're saying that with a lot of pride, we're still complaining that we're not recognized. We're not being recognized. But we have to take responsibility for that recognition to be able to actually demonstrate our value in different ways. So some of the things that I'm doing, and I think that everybody can do something different in their own way. The live broadcast is one. Some The podcast is, is one. I am one of those weird medical lab scientist that's on LinkedIn doing live videos and doing Mm -hmm. regular recording videos, talking about things in our field. But I think it's about time we get uncomfortable and start talking more about what we do and what, how we contribute to healthcare. Um, if we can't do it in, uh, on social media, on podcasts, then we probably do it in our little corner in either the clinics that we work, in the hospitals that we work, start working across the aisle with other healthcare professionals. And know that it's sad when we say that other healthcare professionals don't know what we do, but we can take some of those responsibilities to work with them because for me, that was a major it shifted everything when I went to grad school and started working with other healthcare professionals and realized how they receive what we have to offer. It's more about they not knowing what we have to offer. So if we can do it in the hospitals, in the clinics, if there are projects that we want to work on, you know, just volunteer to work on projects with other healthcare professionals. And, you know, they knowing what we have to contribute will give them, they'll talk to their kids 
about that profession. They'll talk to Mm -hmm. friends who are asking them questions because if they don't know, then it's hard for them to share. So I think that, you know, it's so important for us at whatever level to advocate, to join our um, professional association. If you're doing stuff in your small, um, in your hospitals or clinics, join your association and see what is it that they're doing that you can work on. I know that there's just so much we're doing in terms of advocacy, but if we don't have people to work on these things, then, you know, but I think we can contribute even at us in a small way. And I think starting in your workplace, starting in your workplace, going across the aisle, volunteer with your education department, volunteer in schools, because it's so important. I didn't know anything about med tech in high school. All I was told about is medical school. So if we don't start telling students, volunteering in schools, high school, elementary school, but I think we have the responsibility to do it. Yep. I love it. That's great advice. That's a wonderful message. Uh, In the show notes, I'll link to the Elaborate Topics podcast. I'll link to Lab OPEX training. Lona, this has been really interesting. I'm really glad we're able to do this. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I totally enjoy it. And um, I could, I'll also give you my, the YouTube where they could watch some of the older Lab OPEX live shows. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll include that as well. Thank you so much. I totally enjoyed sharing. Great big thanks to Lona Small. I've got a trailer for you right now of my interview with Dr. Praniv Petwarden. Using a systematic approach like this, you never forget a step because it's built into your system once you once you kind of automatize it. Is that is that sound accurate? Yes, it certainly sounds accurate. I would also like to add that this is a particular step-by-step approach which I feel all of us follow day in and day out. It's nothing very new or it's nothing magical. Whenever we get our slides subconsciously or consciously, we are thinking about how to go about it and how to reach to a particular diagnosis. It is just that to bring it on paper and to kind of describe it in the form of a flowchart at times sounds difficult and that is what I have tried to do. At the same time, this kind of uh, algorithmic process or an approach may be different for different individuals. It might, the way one thinks as a pathologist may be slightly different and that's fine and that's why I I have always encouraged, like when I was in India, I have encouraged the med students there and, and my colleagues to kind of develop their own methodology of how they feel comfortable about analyzing a particular set of lesions or organ systems and try to devise similar kind of flowcharts which they would make use of for academics and also when they sign out cases. You can hear more from Dr. Pad Warden in episode number 36. I really enjoyed speaking with Lona and the things she has done, I I found so interesting. And honestly, if her story doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. 
we actually talked for a while after we stopped recording and she has a, a lot more stories to tell. So I would encourage you to listen to uh, Lab OPEX Live on LinkedIn and also Elaborate Topics podcast. You can hear some of the other stories that Lona has. And of course, I'll have links in the show notes to both of those, as well as some of the other things we talked about today. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at People of Path or connect with me on LinkedIn. This past week, I was the guest on Digital Pathology Today. You might remember the host, Dr. Joseph Anderson, from episode number 57. So it was a lot of fun to talk with him again. We had another great conversation, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. I want to thank everyone for sharing the show with other people that they know. You're really helping us expand our reach and gain some momentum. And especially to all of the new fans in Brazil, that's really exciting to see. So keep sharing the show and together let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.